Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, you guys? Sean Ross Sapp here for the Fightful MMA Podcast. It's March 9th. There's no showdown. Joe here. He's out on a beach doing absolutely nothing. He's an absolute slacker. I am joined by UFC Hall of Famer Frank Trigg. Frank, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, another, uh, well, gloomy. It's a little cloud cover today uh, out in Hawaii. But yeah, it's not a bad day so far. Not a bad day. Sounds like a terror. <laughs> We go from uh, partly sunny to fully sunny to uh, uh, cloudy, and today's a little bit cloudy, but it'll blow off. So I really, uh, I really want to complain, but you won't care, so I'm not gonna. <laughs> oh, I'm right in between Lexington, Kentucky, and Cincinnati. So one day it's 70 degrees, and the next day we have three inches of snow. So yeah, there's been some weird weather going on over there with you guys. Um, it was like, oh yeah, uh, it's like been like a, a, a great short weather, and then all of a sudden, holy crap, get your snow tires out. That's awesome. It- it's 63 degrees right now, and I have to worry if Saturday night I can go watch the fights with a friend because I'm afraid there's going to be too much snow. Shut up. Really? Yeah. This, this is Thursday, so that much snow between, between today two days. and days. Two days, because if it hits, it's all going to hit at one time, which uh, the, the forecast seemed to have pulled it out. So I think I can go do that. Uh, speaking of, we got lots to talk about. UFC 209. Habib Nurmagomedov, we've got this UFC show on Saturday. The first thing I want to ask you, though, uh, a lot of people obviously know that you've, you've gotten into officiating. On Saturday night with Luke Sanders, a very egregious illegal knee at, at UFC 209. Immediately a point was taken. I think this needs to be done more. Uh, as an official, what, what is your policy on situations like that? Well, you know, it's it's uh, every official has his own little game and how he does things. Um, there, there is, in my personal opinion, this is just my personal opinion, that I believe there is too many of, uh, do it one more time, I'm going to take a point. And that's the verbiage that comes out of the referee's mouth. Hey, do it one more time, I'm taking a point. Um, I had an instance in uh, Bellator um, a couple weeks ago where I had told him in the back in the pre-fight interview, don't, you know, fingers through the cage is fine. Once your fingers start hooking over, then I have to make a decision. Are you doing something that's going to change how the fight's going to go? And a lot of times, nothing's happening. They're just going, putting their fingers through. They're not grabbing. They're not pulling. They're not trying to get up. They're not trying to stop a takedown. They're just, you know, it's natural. 
we're making fists all day and we're trying to grab things uh, in the middle of that, in the middle of that cage. I think it's natural. So I warned him backstage. He kept putting his fingers through, uh, uh, during, uh, during the fight. I kept having to tell him, get your hands off, get your hands off. And then one time, um, he reached up and, and grabbed, uh, a hold of the, the ring post padding to pull himself sideways. Right. Mm. And so boom, stop time, immediately take the point away. And I got in a little bit of trouble after the after the, the event was over because the head table wasn't clear what had happened. They didn't realize I had to, that I warned him in the back. They weren't there for my pre-fight. You know, don't mm-hmm. you know, don't do that. They weren't there in the middle of the ring when I was saying, hey, like get your hands out of the cage. So I wasn't being aggressive. I wasn't doing the finger wag. I didn't, you know, call time just because don't do it again. I didn't do any of that. I was just like, I, you know, get your hand out, get your hand out, slapped it off. And then when he did it, I was like, immediately we're done. Like we got to, I gotta take the point away. For a legal knee like that, which happened with Luke, um, you know, you're not allowed to, to knee a down opponent. Like everyone knows this. Like this is this is a it's a rule. It's not like a new rule all of a sudden popped up. Like grabbing yeah. the clavicle now is legal, and before it was illegal. It's not like a new thing where where uh, um, you know we have to watch our hands now. One of the new rules is that you can't come out of the fight like this, pointing at the guy's face. If you're pointing down at his hip, it's totally fine. But pointing at his face, you have to either have your hands up or make a fist. It's very simple. Um, so there is a little bit of leeway on that thing. But but knee a downed opponent. I mean. How many times have you seen a guy get, you know, how many times have you seen a guy uh, uh, almost get kneed while they're down and the fans are going like, oh, it's illegal, you know, and then the replay shows it wasn't, but everyone's like in the middle of it. Everybody knows this rule. Plus, the officials are telling you backstage, hey, don't do this. This is what's going to happen. How to, how to, how to, you know, keep away from these kind of things. It should have happened the way that it happened. It, knee happens, time, one point. That's the way it should go. And that's, in my opinion, that's, and that's what happened. I think that that was very uh, completely justified. And I would, I would like to see uh, more officials be consistent with it. Um, but it also, too, is let, let's not forget we're human. Uh, we're not machines. We don't catch everything. And sometimes if it happens in a scramble, we're in a bad angle. We miss it. You know, it, it, we just we can't do anything about something that we didn't see happen. We can't make an assumption something happened if we didn't actually physically see it. But there are ways that we can go to the head table and there are ways that we can go and, and find out, hey, did I miss something? What happened if it's, if it's that egregious? So, But, yeah, yeah, it, uh, kudos to that referee. I'm, I'm sorry. I apologize. I forget which ref actually had that, had that fight. But, yeah, that should absolutely happen uh, uh, the way that it did. Yeah, it was, it was really refreshing to see. Obviously, you don't let your emotions overcome you as a professional and, and as an official. But is it frustrating when you tell these people in the back, don't do this, and they do it? And then I'm sure they get they're upset when you take the point, but I mean you've already warned them multiple times at this point. I've I've had I've had individuals after the fight come over and like, and like after the fight's all over, everyone's done, everyone's leaving out, and they, they're still on the back. And I've had them come marching up to me. What the hell were you thinking, taking that point away? What's up, blah, blah, blah? And you're just like, look, man, just go look at the tape. You'll see that you were grabbing the cage, and that uh, or or need that guy in the face, or had you know, grab the shorts for the 15th time and then, and then stop the takedown because you grabbed the shorts. Like now I've got to, you know, I've got to take a point away because it changed how the, the, the eventfulness of the, of the position was going to happen. I've got to take the point away, go look at it yourself. And then, you know, of course it's a month later, the fighters won't do look at it right away. And like, Oh yeah, you're right. Like I, I screwed up a lot of guys heat of the moment. You don't know. A lot of women don't know in the middle of that the middle of that heat of the moment. They don't know what's actually going on. They have an assumption that they're doing everything correctly is the assumption because you train to do everything correctly. You think that now the fight's going now you do everything correctly, but you get, you know, you, it happens all the time. And then of course the, the you have to have a, um, uh, John McCarthy says it very well. You have to have a very thick skin as a referee because you're going to get booed. So if you do everything right, nobody cares. If you do yeah. one little thing wrong, 
you're the worst referee in the, in the entire planet. And then you're going to get a bad reputation. It's like, well, that, bad reputation with the fans, not necessarily with the commissions, depending on what the what the thing is. But most of the time, it's just it's really nothing. Like like the refs have called it correctly, and the fans just don't know what they're looking at. And that's the reality of it. Is that like I've, I've been in arguments with guys that tell me, I've been a fan of the sport since UFC 2. I would have John McCarthy first took the cage. I've been following him ever since. I know exactly what the rules are. Okay, so can I can I can I kidney kick you now when in the guard? Well, uh, can I grab your clavicle when when I'm on when anywhere in the position? Like, are these rules legal or illegal? Like, what's you know every single rule? So tell me. And so much of it is state to state. Like even on the amateur level, a lot of people don't know. Up until a few years ago, if you were in like Kentucky, if a guy wore a rash guard, you could pull it over their head and beat the crap out of them. Like I'm I mean, they're they're really in there. There's a lot of. And, and, re- and remember, Nevada hasn't adopted the new rules yet. So the new rules were not in effect uh, at 209. So, but that knee of a downed opponent is not a new rule. It's an old rule. So it's not, there's no, no, absolutely not. no confusion on that whatsoever. Yeah, that, that, was, that was pretty egregious. And even then, Luke Sanders was still going to win the round. Of course, uh, there was that unbelievable comeback. As soon as, as, soon as Alcantara went hips down, and had that ankle uh, for the knee bar, had the leverage around the ankle. Luke Sanders was like, tap. I think I want to fight again this year. So, uh, yeah, that, that was, that's quite the comeback. Uh, help me out if I'm wrong, um, but I think it was the, from, a, from a, a betting standpoint, it was the biggest comeback in, in UFC history. Like from, from well, I, think, I think that was the Elkins fight. That was the Elkins. Event. That's right. That's right. That's the Elkins. Yeah. I got too confused. But there, when you get a tattoo like he got on his chest, you better expect to be an underdog after that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, Idiot. I know. There's a, there's a tattoo place I saw that for anybody that has any like racist tattoo or, or life disparaging tattoo, which I would consider that one, one of those, like you can't get any job if once they, <laughs> they know you have that tattoo, that they'll remove it for free. You just got to get, oh, that's there, awesome. Get there, make an appointment. They're like, look, everyone makes mistakes. That's the theory of this tattoo process. Everyone makes mistakes. Everyone screws up early in their life. Let's we can help you fix it. There's no reason for you to walk around with a swastika or, or hate monger yeah. or white power or, or, or whatever negative tattoo on your body if you've changed your mind and, and had a, had an epiphany about how the human race should work. And, and I'm I'm pretty sure he should go to <laughs> get the damage removed. One fight in particular, Mark Godbeer, Daniel Spitz. Did this fight have you considering putting on about 50 pounds and getting back in the cage? Because this was. Well, let's be honest, putting on about uh, 10 pounds and, and getting back in the kitchen. Um, I'm not as svelte as I used to be. I'm a very, I'm a, a larger individual now. Come on. There, uh, uh, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was a great matchup. Okay. Because the, the, the fight was able to, the fight was able to, to break out the way the fight broke out. So it wasn't like one guy walked out, this is a horrible matchup. 30 seconds later, you're like, why did we even have this? Why did Bruce Buffer even make the introductions? Like, this makes no sense. This fight goes through, you kind of look at the fight, you're like, yeah, I, I kind of should jump in heavyweight. Like I should kind of go in. Like this is, I should make this happen. But you're like, you know, every not every single individual. So I got a lot of trouble in my career when I said that uh, that GSP was a B level fighter. And was like, oh, he's a B level fighter. He's a B level fighter. I'm like, well, yeah. Not everybody can be an A level fighter. Only the champ can be the A level fighter. He's the guy. Yeah. He at the time was only only men. There was no women. So he's the guy. Only the a, only the guy at the top is the A level guy. Everybody else is is B C D below him. You know, uh-huh. that, that's how the world works. Not everyone's the best in the world at the, at the time. And he wasn't the champ, and we were just getting ready to, to compete against each other. I just had a, a title, a title, a title a shot loss, 
he went on and of course had that long run where he ends up beating Hughes' record and becoming the, the you know one of the greatest of all time. But at the time, he was a B-level fighter because he was not the champ. You're yeah. going to have E-level fighters. You're going to have F-level fighters. That's just how it works. And the UFC now has gotten so big and has so many fights, they've got to get guys sometimes that you're like, eh, you should kind of still be in the minors. But they're also at a, at a, if you're at the right place at the right time in the right division, this, you know, and, and right now that division is hurting for talent. They don't have enough enough depth in it. They've got to bring some guys in. They're kind of down at the bottom. But it was a very it was a very well contested fight. The fight was very evenly matched, and it was exciting for the fans if they would take out of there. You know, look, looking at like a uh, looking at like a, a um, Junior De Santos and a and a Badoon going after it. It's a different skill level. Those guys. You know, hey, you know, you know who's a good example of this? Nikita Krylov. Nikita yeah. Krylov just parlayed that what you just mentioned, into a pretty damn nice contract back home. He yeah. came over to the UFC. He went on a nice streak. He, he lost his, this most recent fight against Serkinov. But now he's like, you know what? I think I'll just go back home and fight and make a lot of money. And he's, yeah. he, he parlayed that into a pretty damn nice career already. And that's the game. Let's, let's be honest. That, that's the game. You know, of course, it's great to fight in the UFC and have that prestigious, hey, I've got the UFC belt. I'm the guy. You know, I'm the best in the world because that's the assumption everybody thinks when we talk about the UFC and the fights. But the reality of it is, is that as an athlete, you're really just trying to make the most amount of money. Like there, there, there's a reason why basketball players go play in Israel after they're after they're done at the pro level. There's a reason why basketball players go play, the, especially the females, go play in Moscow after the after their oh, yeah. career is over. Because they can also, while their career is going on, in the case of the women, because the seasons are so short for the WNBA, they're taking off and going and playing a full season in Moscow and coming back. And they're making more money overseas than they are in the U.S. So yes, it makes sense. This is the whole game. Is yeah, it, 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 we have we have gone from uh, uh, from human cockfighting to a sport to sports entertainment, and that's where we are right now. Sports entertainment with MMA. And so the reality of it is, these, these fighters have got to make as much money as possible. So if you can go make money someplace else and make the same amount, make more money, or the or the same amount of money without all the the hassles that come with being a UFC contract, why the hell wouldn't you do it? It just makes sense. Yeah. I think Spitz took this fight on short notice, which explained his cardio issues, which, I mean, they're heavyweights anyway. But, man, Godbeer, he really should have finished that fight in the second round. Uh, we, we also had that big upset from Darren Elkins. That was, that was so awesome because you had these two monumental uh, comeback wins, like back-to-back. That was very impressive. All in all, I thought the show was pretty pretty good up until the main event. I thought that Dan Kelly-Rashad Evans fight was way better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, it went it went a lot better. Like I, when I saw it coming, I'm like, Rashad like doesn't even have to warm up. Like he's just walk in and just beat the crap out of this guy. Rashad's older. He's slowed down. He's a busier schedule. Um, he's on TV a lot, working you know working commentating booth. So it's very difficult for him to get a lot of hard hard training sessions in. It's not enough energy to be on TV. So you know it, it takes a lot of a lot of a lot of work for that to happen. So I'm kind of wondering what kind of Rashad's coming in. But still, with all that being said, even that Rashad beats up Dan. Who is this guy? Come on, he's not anywhere in the game. <laughs> Then the fight starts, and you're like, okay, this is not what I was anticipating. This is not what I, I'm expecting. And all of a sudden, the fight becomes the fight. And you're like, wow. Like, you, you know, you can have all the analysis. You can look at all the fights. You can look at every guy and break them down and figure out their tells and what you think is happening and what's going on in their personal lives and dig real deep into this stuff. And the reality of it is you still don't know what the hell is going to show up. You have no idea when that cage door closes and they go, are you ready? Are you ready? Fight. And then, boom, a fight starts. And no, nobody knows what's going to happen and how things are going to break out. We think we do, and but we really don't know what happened. And that fight proves it. 
we all thought that Rashad was going to go there, and, and he might have a tough time, but he's definitely going to win this fight. He's definitely going to get himself through. He's also the bigger man coming down to 85. He's a bigger guy, and he's a wrestler that knows how to cut weight. So he's a bigger guy. There's 100% going to be that bigger, heavier, more in shape guy because he had to cut so much weight. It didn't work out that way. The fight did not go out the way that we all thought. Yeah, I thought this would be a lot of like similar to the Rampage fight where you would try to press up against the cage. Then I'm like, wait a second, this is Dan Kelly. You don't want to get in a quick clinch with Dan Kelly. That sounds like a terrible idea. And we saw it a lot where Dan Kelly, because their their lead foots were so close together, almost making contact, he was able to land little trips. This fight, I, I thought that Rashad Evans versus a judo player of that level, I thought it had a recipe to be really boring, and it wasn't. It was one of my favorite Rashad Evans fights I've seen because there was so much uncertainty, almost the tension of what can Rashad do at 185. And he says he has no plans to retire. I'm okay with I'm okay with that. Make your money. And if they want to keep putting him on main cards, if he has fights like this, why not? I like it. And, you know, there's, there's been a long, deep conversation, you know, about Ronda Rousey. She come back, she not come back. And the problem with Ronda is that she gets $3 million every time she fights. So where can you put yeah. her on a card? You have to put her on a main event or co-main event like of the card. She has to be. But with a guy like like Rashad, who doesn't get that kind of money, he doesn't he doesn't demand that kind of money, you can actually afford to keep him on the main card. You can actually afford to keep him on the first fight, second fight, third fight of the night, you know, on the main card. If he keeps fighting like that, and it's good for the fans, it's good for him, he can extend his career, uh, but he's also not going to be in the title hunt anytime soon. And if yeah. once he realizes, and I don't know if he does or not, Rashad and I haven't spoken to each other, but we realize, hey, look, I'm not going to be in the title, title hunt anytime soon. It takes off a lot of pressure. You're not like, I'm not trying to bang my head against the wall every day knowing, hey, any moment, Sean Shelby's going to be calling me. Hey, oh, here's the phone call. Somebody got hurt. The scheduling is correct. You're in the title shot in three months. It's like he doesn't have that pressure. He knows he's not going to be the guy getting the phone call at the weight class. It gives him some time. Plus, it's his first fight there. Let's, let's let's see how he does with the weight and how he does with the with the the, the conditioning sequence that happens. Maybe that first fight down was the problem. He just his body hasn't adapted to being down at that weight yet. Give it one more fight and see what happens. We might see a Rashad Evans of old all of a sudden that pops up there and, and he's at 85. And, and what I'm saying right now is complete BS. All of a sudden he isn't a title hunt in in two fights. You're like, well, well, that's just stupid. So we got to see what happens. Alistair Overeem versus Mark Hunt. Now, um, Alistair Overeem showed a lot more grit and heart in this than what people realize because after the fight, he revealed that he had food poisoning before the fight. Not only that, he ate some nasty elbows from Mark Hunt. Mark Hunt busted open his shin. He, he feared it was a broken leg or a broken tibia uh, initially. It, it, it ended up not being the case. Mark Hunt is a, a very tough out for anybody, even at, at his age. But uh, Alistair Overeem, this is, this is a different Alistair Overeem than we've seen previously because – a few years ago, I don't know if he comes back after those elbows. He like a couple of years ago, he would bring it on early and then he would get caught and, and that would be it. He so, seems like he's matured as a fighter, even. That lately. but he also had a great game plan. His normal game plan is gonna be yes. to, to to stay on the outside and try to strike with you, make you run into stuff as you're as you're trying to get close to him. He's just gonna back up and smash you with some uppercuts, hit you with a couple you know, a couple uh, wide wild wilding hooks as you're running into him, and that's what kind of puts guys down. And because that, because the way of his position of his hands, it always leaves his head open, which is why when he gets cracked, he's about trying to hit you, and you hit him first. That's why it tends to fade out. With Hunt, he pushed him against the cage and ground on him. You know, head pulls and jamming on his arms and making it so that Hunt really couldn't do much. When Hunt threw a lot of, he threw a lot of knees to the body. Like when he was throwing those knees to the body, he couldn't get his hit back. He didn't have full range. He couldn't get full swing because he's pushed against the cage. So, very kudos to Alistair Overeem for having a great game plan and figuring out how to how to do it correctly. 
And if you noticed, he was offstepping a little bit to the left yeah. and right. He wasn't staying right in front of Hunt. He was always attacking him at an angle, always getting to the other angle. And that's when those knees started flying in. He was able to do that because he kept moving to the angle before he threw the knee. So that last one that came in and put and actually put Hunt down to hit him in the face is because Hunt wasn't expecting to come straight up at him. He thought it was going to come from an angle and come this way. So his hand was here to block it, but it wasn't coming from this direction. It was coming right up the middle. And he, it, because Alistair was right here, he's like, there's no way he's going to hit me with a knee that way. He's, he's, he's already caught a couple of body, uh, body knees. He's like, oh, it's coming. Let me tuck up and turn, which is proper defense for the angle that he thought Alistair was at. Yeah. Alistair moved off the angle and, and slid right through it. Bang, and smashed him. He's like, well, now I'm screwed. Now I've got my leg hurts. I've been rattled 17 times. I've hit him with my 15 best elbows. He's still smiling at me and breathing in my ear. And then all of a sudden, like, what am I going to do now? I'm like, okay, it's time for me to get out of this fight. This, this is way too much damage I'm taking. And if he had stayed in that fight, he would have got really started getting beat up because his energy level was fading. And the ability for him to hold his hands up and start to throw punches was coming way off. So this is going to be a big problem for him. I actually got to think that, that Hunt could have went a lot longer. He could He could have stayed in that fight and fought longer. But he just realized this is not going to be good for me if I do stay here. I'm going to get out of this thing. I mean, he not only wanted out of the fight, but he wants out of his damn contract too. So there's that. Also, one thing I noticed that Overeem was doing, uh, he put all of his weight on Mark Hunt up against the cage in the clinch. And then when Mark Hunt would, even if, if Mark Hunt would rock him in the clinch, usually you'd see Overeem get like wobbly leg there and he would retreat. All his weights on him. It, it almost like it's almost like Mark Hunt supported Alistair Overeem, even in the event that he was rocked. So that's a, that's a big win for Overeem. So something interesting here. Um, maybe a month ago or so, uh, I, I do a lot of work on um, uh, concussion problems and long head traumas and stuff like that. And everybody talks about how a fighter once he starts getting knocked out, he can't even get his chin back. Like he just never recovers and never recovers. Well, I've talked to a couple of different neuro- neurosurgeons, you know, neuro doctors. Like, oh, 100%, you can get your head back, 100%. The problem is it just takes time. And yeah, the thing is yeah. the fighters aren't going to take that year off of no contact, no smashing around, no getting hit, no getting hurt to get your head back. Well, Overeem used to get rocked a lot, but he never really got starched, to, to my memory at least. He never really got face planted. And so he wasn't had, didn't have that much damage. But I do understand, too, that in his sparring sessions, he's backed off on his sparring a lot. And literally a month before the fight, he won't spar anymore. So he's actually given his head and his chin, so to speak, time to heal up and get better. I think he's actually improved because he's now more aware of the fact that he does get wobbled when he gets hit, and he took the time off to let his head get healed up. Now he's not he's back to full force as far as his head goes. He is older. He is, you know, obviously now he can't be on testosterone and the other things he used to get caught for when, before the new, the new system's in. But he looks great, and he's fighting just about as good as he did when, when he was uh, juiced to the gill. So you got to think that for a guy like yeah. that, it really wasn't beneficial to be on PEDs. It actually was just mental. And now that yeah. he's mentally got himself put together, he's like, hey, he can take over the world. And he kind of can. He's got the size. He's got the physique that I don't care who he's fighting against. If he gets on you and he gets the cage, he smacks you a couple times, it changes how that fight's going. And 36 is not old for – well, he'll be, he'll be 37 in a couple months. That's not old for that division. No, not at all. It's actually a pretty pretty mid, mid-level mid age for that division. So he's got a lot of time left. If he wants to fight another five, six years, I think he definitely has it in him if he keeps up with the pace that he's doing now of staying healthy, staying healed, and not taking as much damage in practice when it's time for the fight. Speaking of taking damage, uh, Lando Venata takes a lot of it, but I, I'll pay 60 bucks to watch that dude fight any day. He's got a great skill. He's got a great sense about his, the fight game, and, man, does he come in like a terror. Like I cannot believe how much energy he has. Yeah. Even, if, even if he takes a couple of heavy blows, he still likes to fight. 
He still wants mm-hmm. to come in. He's one of those guys that pushes hard all the time when he's winning. When he's losing, he pushes even harder. And the thing is that he feels like he's losing once he, get, he gets hit one time. Like, oh, my God, I'm losing. I got to go. And he just he accelerates. You're like, I can't keep this guy's pace. And he's cracking the crap out of me. What is going on with this? Great. Yeah, I really do like I agree with you. 60 bucks is, is, a, is a cheap price to watch him fight. Yeah, you can really see the Cubs Swanson and him. Those two train together. Mm-hmm. I, I want your opinions on the Habib Nurmagomedov situation. You're a guy who, you know, he had to make weight your whole career. He has, he didn't once before, but this situation, in my opinion, this was for me, the most anticipated lightweight fight maybe that I've ever seen. Like outside of a a real championship fight. I was stoked for this fight. I feel, you got to feel for Tony Ferguson, but Habib didn't make weight. He didn't make it safely. The thing that bothered me about the situation was Dana White afterwards saying, well, you should have called me. We could have saved this fight. And I'm like, how? How? If the dude was unhealthy, he was either going to miss weight or he was going to have to get an IV, which would have had to have been approved by USADA. But uh, what's your take on this whole situation, this whole Habib situation? So it's not like he got called two weeks ago and said, hey, this fight's going to happen. He's going to make weight. He's just—he's a professional fighter that is in a weight division. There, there's a, there's a as part of your contract, you have to make a particular weight. You've got to be able to walk in and make 155. Or, you know that, that that's what it is. If you can't make the weight, you, you're you're not fulfilling the, the portion of your contract. He's known about this this fight particularly for what 10, 12 weeks. He's had time to get his weight down. Him not being able to make weight, he should have known a month before because I've been on a hard diet. I've been training hard. My weight is not coming off. He can always make the phone call. Hey, look, I'm having a little problem making weight. I'm going to be able to make it. Let me, give me a week. Let me see where I'm sitting. At three weeks before the fight, he go, yeah, I, I can't make weight because I, I've been trying. I've been on my diet. I've, what has happened is that oh, I'll make weight. Don't worry about it. I'll make weight. I'll find a way to make weight. Don't worry, I'll make weight. He didn't dial in his diet. He didn't dial in his, his game. And so as a result, when you're not dialing in your diet game, when you're not dialing in getting your weight down and getting within striking distance, being able to dehydrate yourself down, you have to come in. And, you know, I saw jokes. You know, he came, oh, he came in and tried to cut 45 pounds a week of. I don't know exactly how much he tried to cut, but it, but you think about this. At 100 pounds, right, if you're cutting 15 pounds, that's 15% of your total body weight. It's mm-hmm. 7% of your total body weight, or it's a, it's a, a 10% of your total body weight at 150 pounds. So if he's, if he's cutting 15 pounds of water, he's cutting, he's cutting that much, he's cutting 10% of his total body weight to make weight. That's a huge amount. Yeah. At a heavyweight, you know, if a guy's 300 pounds, and, or, or, or two, 285, you got to cut 20 pounds and make 265. That's not, you're like, eh, so what? It's like 3%, 2%. You lose that in a workout. Like, who really cares? But when you're weighing 165, 170 pounds, trying to cut that weight, that's a lot of your body weight. So if he comes in, let's just say, bad scenario, he walked in, he shows up in Vegas at 172 pounds. He's now looking at 17 pounds to drop weight, which I know is more than that. There's, it's going to be damn near impossible for him to get down. Like that, and it's, he's not going to be able to fight were the damn the next night, even if he did. And I think he came to a position where he's like, I can make weight. I'll be able to make weight, but I'm not going to be able to fight. Like, I'm not going to have anything left to be able to fight. And this is this is a huge fight for me right now. I'm undefeated. If I lose to Toby, Tony Ferguson, I am not going to get a title shot for another two, two and a half years. What am I going to do? Yes, the interim title. I'm telling everybody I'm the true champ and Conor McGregor is the fake champ. You know, like, he starts running down that gamut. You're like, dude, I got I to gotta go to the doctor and, yeah. and tell him, yeah. you know, give me an IV. And so you know, you know how it all how it all planned out. They went in. He's like, oh, "I'm dehydrated." Boom! They stuck an IV in him, and now they're like, "No, oh, you didn't get you didn't get permission from USADA for the IV, so you're out. Fights out." So what do we do? Oh, you failed USADA, or doctor said you can't be in this fight. 
So who knows what actually happened behind the scenes? But with the story we get, the doctor said he can't fight, so now the fight's off. And it, and it's and it's what you know, twelve hours or a, a, a ten hours before you're supposed to make weight. You know, so yeah, fight's over. Not even that. He was still at the hospital well, through weigh in. And I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting sorry, a little bit, a little of, an bit of an echo. But uh, Overeem was given two bags of IVs before his fight, and it was approved by USADA. Ian McCall had the same situation before, well, the last fight that didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that that had they, they do grant provisional TUEs sometimes, but that's such a confusing situation. And you, you, one of the talking points in the media was, well, maybe make the divisions 165 and 175. To play devil's advocate for that, you have 100 contracted UFC fighters at 155, 100 at 170. What do you think of a possible 165-175 division instead of the 170 stuck right there in the middle? Well, I mean, it, it's fine. I mean, why, why move 170? Why not have 155, 160, 165, 170, 175, 180, 185? Why not have 85 pounds? The reality of it is it doesn't matter what, what we think is good or bad. It's what can the UFC afford to do? Mm-hmm. Every weight class, you now you have to have, you have to have about, you have to have. A- our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best-kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. About 100 people in each weight class. You know, call, call it 50 people for, for good. You have that 50 people in that weight class to, to have the ability to be able to have that weight class be evenly contested. We're seeing it at, right now at the women's division at 135 and 145. Who's at 145? Nobody can answer that question. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like they're building a division, but they don't have anybody in the division. So how are they building a division? Same thing with 135. They have this division finally built, wrapped on Ronda Rousey's shoulder, who dragged it out of the, out of the dark ages and brought it to where it is today. And now you're looking at all these other women that are in this weight class all fighting for it. Same thing with 115. They had to have a whole show around 115 to make get this weight class have enough depth in it to be allowed to be contested. Because if you only have six people in the entire weight class, when do you do the fights then? You only have, that means that weight class only fights three times a year. That's it. The weight class itself as a whole can only fight three times a year. You're looking at 170. That fight, every single card can have a 170-pound fight on it for sure, whether it's a top end or a low end, uh, a, a fight pass fight card or a main event or the main event. doesn't make a difference. There's always going to be a welterweight 
fight on the card someplace. Same thing on 185. These other weight classes now becomes uh, economical. Can the UFC afford, the new owners, can they afford to add in a new weight class and make these things happen? The reality of it is, if you signed a contract to fight at 155, then fight at 155. If you can't make 155, then you fight at 170. That's it. There's no, this, this, when everyone comes up, oh, we should have a weight class of 165, and we should put the other weight class of one. Well, no, guys, that's not what we signed up for. We're professionals. We know what we signed up for. We know what we walked into. These are the two weight classes we have. If I want to go down to 145, I can do that. If I want to fight at 155, or I can go up to 170. If I don't like that, I can go up to 185. Look at Johnny Hendricks. He's had to move up to 185 because he can't make 170 anymore. That's the reality of the sport. Sometimes you have to change weight classes, and that's just how it goes. And, and this talk of adding these other weight classes is great. I would love to see it happen, but it's not going to happen. Like, you know, the UFC does not have another, you know, $3 million a year to spend on a new weight class. They're already doing it with 145 in the, in the yeah. female division. It's like, oh, yeah. They're, they're, it was so funny a few weeks ago. I've mentioned this. Daniel Cormier was on TV saying, who the hell is going to fight in this division? And Karen Bryant says, Marlouz Kooning could come over. Meanwhile, she's main eventing for the competition, and then she retires after the fight. And, and she lost. So that, after she lost to Julie Butts. After, yeah. after she lost. And if you look up and down the world 145-pound women ranks, it is full of women who are like 37, 38 years old, or they're barely, they're barely 500, or they've got like three fights. Yeah. So that, that if you build it, they will come thing isn't necessarily true for some situations. So I feel, and this is just speculation, I feel Bellator started at first by getting a huge Russian influx into their ranks. But how, however, oh, yeah. how Scott Coker did it. Then the UFC realized, hey, there's a lot of really good Russian guys out there. Let's try to pick up some good Russian guys. And they all happen to live in either New Jersey or, or, or San Jose. It all kind of worked out. I have a feeling there's going to be a huge influx of more women uh, Eastern European-based female fighters are starting to get signed to the UFC. Um, one, it, it, let, let's be honest, the female uh, division right now at this point is still uh, 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 the, the better fighters in the female division, the more sought-after fighters in the female division are the better-looking ones. That's just the reality of it right now. It's still in that stage of its, of its, of its growth. There's going to be a huge amount of influx of, of Eastern European women to come in because they're fighting. They've got no, ex, no exposure over there. And the thing with the right now with those fighters is that you really don't know. It used to be, oh, I'm fighting this Russian guy. You know, he's got a record of, of 37 and three. Like, who's he really fought? Yeah. I'm going to kill this guy. Then you get in a fight with him. You're like, holy crap, this guy's really 37 and three. This sucks. This is not what I was expecting. There's going to be a lot of that coming in. These girls are 500. These girls are 37 years old and they're, and they're, and they're, they're barely over 500. And they're coming in all of a sudden, they're winning the, the division. You're going, well, this girl's record. Is, is is just over 500. How is she the champ now all of a sudden? Well, because she's been fighting over in all these fights that we don't know anybody, and these girls are tough. There's a lot of really, really tough fighters over there we just don't know anything about. All these smaller women were coming out of Japan for a while. You know, at 115, they're all coming out of Japan for a while because those that's where, culturally, that's where they could fight. And all the small women that would go over there to fight, if they weren't from Japan or from the, the Asian region, they would have fight now with 145-pound division for women. It's going to be Eastern Europe. It's going to be though that type of... of of, of Tatar-looking females and we start coming out of the woodwork and just crushing fools. And it's going to be great to watch. So we had this UFC 209 main event. <laughs> what did you I think thought it was of a good main event. I thought it was a good main really? event. Really? That first round where they were playing pitter-patter, but both of them know that this is going to be a long fight with a lot of damage being thrown out by both guys, and neither one of them wanted to have it happen. I thought it was a good main event. That main event went the way that two evenly matched top-end professionals are going to go. When you see two chess masters play chess, 
it's kind of freaking boring because it's not like it, it's it's a very long, long drawn out game. When you're watching two two uh, 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 karate masters, it's very long and drawn out. No one really gets any points. Same thing with MMA. I don't know why people don't get this. George St. Pierre said before he uh, before he, he uh, retired uh, uh, in, uh, with Johnny that yeah, these my fights are boring because I'm fighting the best guys in the world. This is what happens when two masters fight each other. Things slow down. Everyone's yeah. nullifying each other because everyone's great at all levels. It's not like, you know, in the mid ranks, I'm a wrestler, you're a boxer, I'm gonna push you against the cage and pressure you, take you down, and beat you up, beat you up on top. I'm gonna win these fights that way. Once it starts getting where all of us are good at all three divisions of MMA, things slow down. That's what happened in that main event. Both all those both those guys are amazingly good at all three levels of MMA. And yes, it's time to a better wrestler if it was just a wrestling match. Yes. Does is Steven a better striker if it's just a striking match? Yes, but add in wrestling and jiu-jitsu and boxing into it all at the same time. Now, all of a sudden, it's even. And that's what we saw. We saw an evenly fought fight. I'm not of that company. <laughs> of course not. And that's but, the thing that no, hey. no one really is, which makes no sense. I think Joe yeah. Rogan and I are the only two that, that kind of agree. <laughs> True. It may, it may be. But, hey, you know, it's ultimately – Something like that, despite it being legit competition, to the viewer, it's almost subjective entertainment unless you're breaking it down and stuff like that. We got UFC in Fortaleza, I think it's called. Yeah. This is a sneaky good card. Like, very sneakily good card. Like, this main card has Alex Oliveira, Tim Means, Betch Cohea, Marion Renault, uh, Formiga versus Ray Borg, Edson Barboza, Benil Dariush, Mauricio Shogun Hua, Jean Vellante. Vitor Belfort and Kelvin Gastelum. This is that's that's just one hell of a Fox Sports One main card. I see. I gotta tell you, man. Like, at what point are we going? Thanks to, to Joe Silva for putting these fights mm-hmm. together, or holy crap, Sean Shelby was really being underused this whole yeah. time because he had because he had Joe Silva ahead of him. Uh, it, 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 we don't know like who who actually put these fights together because now we're getting to that point where yeah, Joe retired. You know the uh, December thirty first, but yeah, how many how many fights did he set up before he got out? Like how much did he turn over to Sean before he left? So you don't know the back end story, and of course you might never know. But man, are they putting yeah. these fights together that are not they're 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 great for the new fan that just wants to see some action, not really sure what's going on. It's great for the middle fan that that's been around the sport for a little while, like since the new inception, but they get how the game goes, they understand how the fights happen, and they understand that the, the nuances of the fight game. But then for the OGs like me that have been around since the beginning, we're completely invested as well. These matchups are amazing. The one thing, though, is that it got overshadowed by 209. Mm-hmm. People forget there's a fight this Saturday. I've talked to a lot of folks, like, hey, we're watching the fights this weekend. Like, no idea. Yeah. Because I was in, I went to Kauai uh, over the weekend with my wife to go. Uh, we've never been over to the island of Kauai, so they go check it out real quick uh, and see a couple of friends over there. So I was watching on a different island. So they didn't. They thought that that I just had forgot about the fights and didn't show up for a normal fight party. So I'm like, hey, let's have a, let, you know, what are we doing on this Saturday? Watch the fights. And they're like, the fights were last week. Like, no dummy. Yeah. The fights this week on Fox Sports One's a free card. They're like, and there's a fight. good ones, some real good ones. Yeah. Like you got Josh Berkman on the prelims. Uh, Joe Soto, who you know isn't lighting the world on fire, but challenge for a title against Ronnie Yaya. That's going to be a fun fight. Uh. What a lot of people don't realize, with the state of the UFC light heavyweight division and not knowing what the hell John Jones might do in April or May, you never know what will happen, 35-year-old Mauricio Shogun Hua is like 
a Jean Vellante went away from getting an interim title shot or a title shot or a Dan- Daniel Cormier knee injury away from it happening. Like, he's won two in a row. He's a name. He's, like, I think top five in the division. Maybe even further up beyond that once Ryan Bader's contract status gets uh, situated. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. That could be a big win for Jean Vellante if he manages to pull it off. That that fight, those guys are one or one or two fights. You know, one fight with an injury uh, or a sickness. You know, two fights away from being in a title fight because there really is this speculation: what is John going to do? Like, what's he going to be like when he comes out in April, May? And I feel bad for Cormier because they're really not. He's really not getting. You're, he's almost he's almost being respected like an intern title. An intern champ. Yeah. Because John didn't lose the belt. The belt got taken away from him because he's an idiot outside. So uh-huh. That's what happened. Like, well, he did nothing wrong in the cage. He didn't fall down and get on bar. He didn't get knocked out. He didn't, you know, he didn't get a cut and there was a doctor stoppage. He got stripped. So everybody's like, he never lost. So how can he not be the champ? So Daniel's just the interim champ till 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 John Jones comes back. Like, well, hold uh, on I wanted to ask you this, by the way. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. We they they uh touted this upcoming Mighty Mouse fight against Wilson Hayes, which was booked yeah. last year, but he already had the tough booking. And this record, this consecutive title defense record, is very important to Mighty Mouse. He's made no secret about it, and it should be. That's something he can claim. Do you think that it may be looked at a little bit differently because GSP retired with his title really close to it, that John Jones was stripped of his title really close to it? If George St. Pierre wins against Michael Bisping – Technically, he'll have won the most consecutive title fights in UFC history if you include this title this title uh, win, his welterweight title win, and his interim title win. But, I mean, those are two guys in GSP and Jones who very well could have had this record that Demetrius Johnson's going after. So now we have asterisks that get thrown again this thing. Well, one was an interim title, so it doesn't count. Well, it counts because the UFC says it counts, so it counts. Yeah. Um, he took time off. He, he took a break. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter in between. You know, uh, 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 was there was there a three year gap for him to get it? And he just didn't fight, or is there was there a two year gap because he was injured and couldn't fight? Like, what's the who cares? Like, it doesn't matter. It's consecutive. The, the, the way you worded it means that GSP is going to have going to have that that record again. And, and Mighty Mouse, in my opinion, is the greatest fighter right now, pound for pound, in the world. He has destroyed the greatest weight class. He's done it more than once. He's gone. He's cleaned out his entire division. This he deserves to have that to have that title. It's unfortunate that you still got guys like John Jones and 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 GSP thrown out there. Um, obviously, he was gonna be able to snatch it up if GSP didn't come back. Now GSP comes back and has a tough, tough fight with Bisming, which we'll, we'll have to break down at a later time. That that fight with Bisming and GSP is not a gimme for GSP. It's not a gimme for Bisming. This is a tough fight for both these cats. And and but the reality of it is is that GSP is gonna could have very easily have. The, not very easily, but could potentially have the the uh, longest title title fight you know wins in UFC history. Uh, it's now going to become a, t- a question of time. That's what's going to come down to. Mighty Mouse did it faster. That's what's going to come out to. Mighty Mouse did it faster. Y- yeah, he's he's one behind GSP, but he did it faster. But took GSP. I don't know what the numbers are. Forgive me. I'm just making crap up out of my head. It took him six years to do it. It took only Mighty Mouse four years to do it. Well, then yeah. why did it take GSP six years? Because he took three years off. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, so it's become this time situation. What's going to happen? But the the thing is now is this is almost becoming like for me at least, uh, uh, and 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 hopefully a lot of the older fans will get this, but a, a lot of the newer fans or younger fans won't get it. This is now becoming the home run derby, or the home run uh, competition between Sosa and McGuire. Yeah. 
This is what's happening. Like every time these guys come out, oh, we won and one. Okay, all right, what one and one? Okay, crap, one and one. Like no one's really getting the lead. They're coming up, you know, and they're in their, you know, sometimes Sosa would go five for five with, with two home runs and McGuire would go would go three for five and, and get three home runs. And it was like, exhilarating. And it was amazing. And that's what these fights are gonna be like, because now there's more vested interest behind the fight. I'm not just worrying about Mighty Mouse winning. I want to see. The, I want to see him keep getting consecutive wins because he's going to keep getting consecutive title wins, which is going to put him in the record books and keep him at the top. You know, and it's going to be amazing to see. And I'm really interested to see how how GSP comes back. But I'm really interested to see how how Money Mouse does uh, uh, with Reese. This is going to be a great fight. Oh yeah, we got Formiga and Ray Borg. They're they're going to be right in the mix. Flyweight has some contenders now. Sergio yeah. Pettis is better than a lot of people gave him credit for. Like, and the thing is, Sergio Pettis has looked good at points in every single one of his UFC fights. But you have Formiga, Hayes, Sergio Pettis. Who knows if Ian McCall can ever actually get into the damn cage. He's the closest we've really seen to somebody beating Demetrius Johnson at 125. Uh, Dustin Ortiz is hanging around there. Brandon Moreno has came out of nowhere. There are some contenders now. So all this talk about Mighty Mouse always got to go up and do super fights. No, he doesn't. Not now. He's got a whole division that... I'm sure he's more than happy to clean out again. There's a lot of guys in there. And like I said, he's found division twice. Uh, uh, but the, now the game has changed. Not the game has changed, but the, the faces have changed. Like, it's, it keeps morphing. That's the cool thing about, you know, the Yankees are going to be the Yankees. You know, uh, uh, the Patriots are going to be the Patriots every year. doesn't matter who's on the team, who's not on the team. You, you change a couple of faces, not really going to change the dynamic. You know, they're always going to be contenders. They're always going to be in the game. They're always going to make playoffs. This is how it kind of works with, the, with those kind of team sports. With individual sports, in the case of like Mighty Miles, he can go through and clean up the entire division over a two-year span. And that two-year span, there's other guys coming in behind. They're working their way up. All of a sudden, yeah, he's cleaning up the entire division. Who's left? There's two guys back there that are one fight away from all of a sudden being the title fight. You're like, well, hold on. Let me start looking at these guys. You know, well, oh, Ian, Ian McCall, if he could get in the damn cage, he could be back in there. He came pretty close to being in the last time. He's the closest, the closest one we've seen at least. Wow. And this Pettis kid, oh, crap, he's young. Like, I thought he was old. I thought he was well, – no, you think about his older brother. That, that's what's happening. You think about his older brother. Sergio's young, so he's got some time left, and he's, he's developing his game every single time. Then added all these other kids in the middle in the middle of this. Really, the whole division is maybe each guy in the division, in my in my mind, is between one and three fights away from being in and pushing their title shot. Yep. So you have to win one to three fights, all of a sudden be pushed in, and then it comes down to someone gets injured, timing, we can't get stuff together. We had a main event fallout over here. Mighty Mouse wants to fight. You're next in line. All of a sudden, things come together. You know, the stars align. You're in the fight. And and it's very interesting. A lot of these matchups are super interesting. Not even taking Mighty Mouse out of it. These matchups yeah. are interesting. How it pans out. Then once they get the Mighty Mouse, now you're talking about a whole new game. I thought that the unfortunate situation involving Mighty Mouse's injury last year and that tough tournament, which, you know, you, you run a tough – like, I, I'm exhausted from tough. But if yeah. you run a tournament for a title – or a title shot, or in this event, the, the comeback season, I'll watch it. You put something different out there, something important out there, I'll watch it. But the those two situations gave this division just the little bit of breathing room it needed to have like five guys built. Yeah. And it's like, wow, there you go. Because before that, guys like John Dodson were like, see, ya, I'm going to I'm going to Bantamweight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at so Look at what happened when GSP was running the 170 division. I was like, oh, it's GSP. It's a foregone conclusion. He's going to win. It's going to be born in five-round yeah. five, but he's going to win it. But you, people didn't stop looking at down below what was happening underneath. Guys were struggling. Guys were pushing. Guys were trying to get themselves through. 
They're chasing that guy. They're chasing that guy that's so down at the top. They're chasing him. And the thing is, is that, is that Mighty Mouse, everybody in the division has to train for Mighty Mouse, but Mighty Mouse has to train for everybody in the division. So yeah. it's, it's he's the one that's got to figure out every single person underneath where everybody else is going, all I have to do is be good enough to beat Anderson Silva, and I'm going to fight him in two years, Chris Weidman. And he came in and he beat Anderson Silva because he trained for two years to beat Anderson Silva. He had other fights. He fought other, but his whole game was Anderson Silva's the best guy in the world. He's the best guy at the top of the chain right now. He was running my weight class. I'm training for him. Anderson Silva had to worry about everybody down below because they're all chasing him. And that's what Mighty Mouse is at, which makes these fights so intriguing. And then, you you know, you put in storylines of, hey, we're going to have this tough show for, for a guy to have a chance to beat Mighty Mouse, which is now he's got to worry about everybody that's in the training in the, in the, in the tough house. And he doesn't know most of these guys because they're, they're coming in from other, other uh, promotions. Now it's a whole new game. I, watched the, I don't even watch tough. Watch yeah. the crap out of that one. Oh, oh yeah. not only that, but he had two guys training these teams. And you know that Henry Cejudo and Joseph Benavidez desperately wanted these guys to beat Demetrius Johnson so they could get their next crack at it. Because otherwise, yeah. I mean, Mighty Mouse stepped in there with Henry Cejudo, an Olympic medalist wrestler, and initiated the clinch. I was like, what? What? Then got taken down launched him in the air like a child and just need him until he, he stopped fighting. So needless to say, Benavid or Cejudo was like, you know, maybe, maybe I'd rather have a crack at Tim Elliott. Maybe, yeah. maybe I'd rather have that fight. Yeah. And and that's the, so and that's the motivation there. You go, you start looking at these fights, you go, you know what? Um, um, uh, uh, you're looking at like uh, uh, Cormier, John Jones, right? Mm-hmm. Who would you rather fight? At that division, if you're in that weight class, who would you rather fight? Would you rather fight John Jones or Daniel Cormier? Well, they both, and they're the top end of the, of the heap at this point. Like, well, they both have different problems. Both of them, you know, kind of equate to different problems. So depending on who you are as a fighter determines which guy you'd rather have win. Because whoever, if that guy wins, then you get a tough shot against him. You got a better shot of winning. So now it becomes game planning for who wins at the top of the heap. It gets crazy sometimes with some of these, with some of these fighters. Where they're like, I definitely want to see Tim Elliott win. I definitely want to see Cejudo win because I cannot beat uh, Demetrius Johnson. So if I can get if I can get him brought back down, then at least I can get into the title shot. And maybe if I'm the champ and he comes in as a challenger, I have a better shot of beating him. But him as the champ right now, I I can't beat him. I just my physical skill is not allowing me to beat him. So I need somebody else to beat him for me so I can get in there and beat them. And that's that whole game of A beats B, B beats C, and then C beats A. And everyone just keeps beating each other up. And so you find until someone gets old enough and retires. Finally, we're going to talk about this Vitor Belfort, Kelvin Gastelum fight before we go. Uh, guys, make sure you head over to Fightful.com for all your MMA, pro wrestling, boxing news, interviews, podcasts, photos, videos. And, of course, we have live coverage of UFC Brazil this Saturday night. As well as every show, we've got a ton of coverage coming up for WrestleMania season. If you guys are into that sort of thing. Hey, your old buddy's getting inducted in the Hall of Fame, Kurt Angle. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Uh, I reached out to him and, and, uh, and uh, said congratulations he didn't respond, so who knows if he actually got it or not. You know, he's, he's yeah. one of those guys that he gets so he gets in a day with so much information <laughs> that he does just like just shuts down on deals with what he has to deal with. So it's uh, good for him, man. He's doing a obviously he's had a long story career, deserves to be. Of course, one of your old foes, AJ Styles, on that WrestleMania card too. I remember that angle. Yeah, it was a good angle. I wish they would have did better with it. I wish the Russo had a better line. He just kind of died. And then uh, yeah, it didn't make any well. sense that they wanted to go later. But, yeah, yeah, props to AJ Styles, too, getting into being out being out for a while and, and overseas, and all of a sudden, boom, pops back up in the, in the WWE, and now he's got, a, he's got a crazy run. 
what's going on. And good for him. The biggest thing going right now. Yeah. He's he's fantastic. Uh, so we got Vitor Belfort, Kelvin Gastelum. Kelvin Gastelum had those issues making weight at 170. And he's taking on a guy who was a former UFC light heavyweight champion. Now, this is not the same Vitor Belfort that a lot of us know. There's the, the fabled TRT Vitor that we just don't see anymore. How much more do you think that Vitor Belfort has to give? He's a very prideful man. If you've ever well, spoken to him, you, you know that. But he's always dangerous, of course. You're looking at you're looking at you get there's three there's three things that beat a Vitor. Juice to the Gills Vitor that fights Randy Couture, you know, in, in UFC Japan. Uh, and gets beat because Randy pushes him to you know to a level he has he's never been been pushed to for cardio wise. So he decides to get out of the heavyweight division and drops down. And then there's the TRE uh, uh, Vitor Belfort when the Lupo closes he has to get you know to get cleaned up and and uh, uh, get off that stuff because of the new USADA programming. And then there's the Vitor we have now. The Vitor we have now is extremely talented, amazingly smart, good craftsmanship. Understands the cage very well. He's been fighting for a very long time. The only problem is that his game is an explosive, quick, powerful, striking game, which falls apart as you get older. You start to lose that as you get older. That that's your timing and, and ability to recover and all that kind of stuff starts going away. It's tough to see what we're going to get with what we're going to get with uh, with uh, Vitor. Um, but it's in Brazil, his hometown, so he's going to have a lot of pride coming into this. He's going to have a lot of angst. And, and let's let's not forget the Brazilian fans. Or if or if it's a, a Brazilian versus any other country, 100%, even if they hate the guy, they're voting for the Brazilian, right? So they could love Kevin Gaston down there, but they're not going to cheer for him. So Kevin's going to get booed. Vitor's going to get cheered, which puts the whole crowd behind him. Now Vitor is going to come up and, and, and puff his feathers and, and be a little bit of a peacock out there. And, you know, he's got the speed. You know, he's got the one-time speed, the one-time slash to be able to ke- catch Kevin. But after, like, his third or fourth time that he tries to throw something, it's going to start to slow down. And Kevin's going to catch his timing, and then it's going to start to overwhelm him, and Kevin's going to start taking over the fight. Um, it's it's going to be interesting to see how Vitor deep Vitor wants to go with this one because he's going to have to go deep. Kevin's not a guy that goes away. Kevin's not a guy that falls down easily. How much more does, does, does Vitor have to give to the sport? Nothing. The man gave enough to the sport. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame as it is. He deserves to be remembered as one of the, as a pioneer of the sport. He was in the, he was in it from the very beginning, you know, of the of the second the second tier of guys that came in. He's been around since then. Like he, you know, he's outlasted everybody in in his era that that has fought. They've they have since all retired and moved on to other things, and he's still in the game, still fighting. He is the older statesman right now. Um, how much more does he want to give? The problem with Vitor is, man, is that his ego and his pride are five times the size of his body. And so he will keep on giving it until they tell him to go away. And he can go on a three-fight losing streak. If they give him another fight, he'll come in and give another fight. He will yep. keep on going. And so they, He's a guy that you have to force into retirement. He's a Chuck Liddell in that mindset where, like, he will continue to fight until you tell him you ha- you are being sat down, we are no longer giving you fights, and we are not releasing you from your contract. You have two more years on this contract, and you're just going to sit. We're not using you anymore, so start thinking about doing something else. It's been over 20 years since his first UFC fight. He turns 40 this year. And I remember uh, seeing the video of a 19-year-old Vitor Belfort destroying the facade of SAFTA of John Hess. Just beat the brakes off of him Yeah, in Hawaii. Uh, Frank, anything you want to tell the people before we go? No, man. This is uh, here's the thing about about uh, uh, paying attention to MMA right now, you know, is that there's these cards are sneaking up underneath you. It's not just... 
UFC cards, you're getting Bellator cards that are sneaking up underneath you. If you're a fight fan, there's a lot of content. I know there's a lot of noise out there that, that kind of drowns out what's going on. But you've got to sit down and watch these fights. A lot of times on, on uh, Fight Pass or on Spike.com, the cards that aren't on TV are actually the best fights of the night. You've you got to start watching these cards from top to bottom. Yeah, it's, oh, I don't really know this guy. But I'm telling you now, the way the sport is going, you watch a guy on this prelim card once or twice, and all of a sudden he's a main event on the main part of the card, and then two fights after that, he is the main event of the card. He's only been, the, been in, around the promotion for four or five fights. Like, what the hell happened? These guys got on these runs, and you want to know who they are. You want to be smarter than the rest of your fans or rest of your friends. You got to start paying attention to these fights early. Like this card we just talked about, Sean, that thing stuck up on us, and it's a great card. It's a great card. Hey, you never know when you'll discover a Michael Page doing like a 720 tornado kick to some poor guy's face or Gerald Harris coming out of retirement and slamming a guy 50 pounds heavier than him into unconsciousness or just two guys going in there, chucking and ducking, make it trying to make a name for themselves, trying to get some extra money. You never know. And everywhere, like you said, from spite to access to fight pass, these fights are everywhere, man. Yeah, it's it's uh it increases your cable bill quite a bit quite a bit to get all the channels. But yeah, it's uh it's pretty it's pretty significant. It's pretty cool uh, to see how, how big MMA has come along and, and how much you know there's space now for a lot more guys. There's a lot more guys that are training, a lot more guys that are getting the pro ranks and and because there's a lot more promotions now that are able to survive because there's so much TV access. And we gotta keep that up and the do the only way to keep that up is by guys watching. And having people sit down and watch the fights. Well, Frank, I want to join you so much, or thank you so much for joining me. Showdown Joe, yeah, he's a slacker. He, he doesn't do anything. He doesn't do a damn thing. He's sitting on the beach, getting his. Mexico right now, hanging out. I bet, I bet he isn't really getting a tan. I bet he went and got a spray tan <laughs> there. I think that's what he did. Because I, you know, and I got Sean Pearson uh, up next with the the official thorn in showdown Joe's ass podcast. So he, he's getting it this week. We're not letting him t- really take the week off, but uh, thank you so much for joining me. My, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. And uh, uh, is Joe and I back again next week, right? Or is Joe still on yeah. vacation another week? Okay. Now, who knows? He may just stay there another week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's possible. He could, he could. <laughs> Guys, until next time we are out. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.